Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. No, I think we were sitting there at 10, and obviously we didn't want to go too far back because uh, we did uh, really like Micah, and we didn't want to get in a position where uh, we didn't think we could get him. So Philly had called, and we knew what they were trying to do. It was obvious they were trying to get in front of the Giants and uh, and get the player they were after and really felt like that, uh, you know, we knew what they were going to take. They told us what side of the ball. And, uh, and then felt like we'd get through the Giants and still get our player and pick up a third-round pick. There's Stephen Jones talking about the decision to draft Micah Parsons, number 12 overall, after the Cowboys pick up a third-rounder from the Eagles, move back two spots. Uh, I think we knew coming in, going into the draft, Katie, that would not be a popular decision among Cowboys fans if they did end up with Parsons. I think kind of the unattainable dream was Kyle Pitts. That was unrealistic. We kind of knew it. The favorite was Patrick Sertan, but with the way it played out, with Sertan and J.C. Horn off the board, uh, we were kind of left at this worst-case scenario in middle linebacker Micah Parsons. Uh, you know, is I saw I saw the reaction on Twitter. I know how Cowboys fans are feeling about this, but you've had a you know a few days now to digest. You know, how you feeling about this pick? A few days later, there are so many pieces to what transpired for the Cowboys at number ten. It it, it could honestly be its own show each individual piece being a segment of 30 minutes to an hour. Absolutely. Let me do the short version of it. Uh, the Cowboys were sitting there at 10. Uh, like you said, they would have loved to have gotten Kyle Pitts. Um, everybody thinks that they would have taken uh, Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn. Caveat number one, the Cowboys were actually interested in trading up with Miami to number six to get Michael Parsons. They were actually going to trade up to take a linebacker. Oh, I didn't hear so this. So take it for what it's worth. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, they, were not, they were not interested in the cornerbacks whatsoever. Wow. So I can kind of see that because I've advocated for being able to get a cornerback in the second round when I said take Pitts or take uh, one of the two offensive tackles, but the Cowboys were not interested in either of the two cornerbacks at that spot at number 10 unless Parsons was off the board. And clearly that was their biggest concern because they were interested in actually giving up some picks uh, Miami was asking probably for a fair amount of value. And the Cowboys were saying if they could sneak that no way with Miami was going to move out from number six to number 10 without getting a lot of compensation in, in return. Right. So that's issue number one, the trade back brilliant, because if you're looking at it and you're saying, well, Devontae Smith is going to be in the division and we're going to have to face him two times a year, no matter what, who cares whether it's on the giants or the Eagles, of course, we'll take the Eagles third round pick for them to take, Devontae Smith ahead of the Giants. That's a no-brainer. A lot of excess value in that trade back. No problem whatsoever. They get a free third-round pick. What they did with it, that's a whole other conversation. There's so many different ways they could play this. I mean, that makes a lot of sense now, right? I mean, it, it did feel a little slimy at first, like the Cowboys and the Eagles doing business to kind of screw over the Giants, who I think were clearly going to take wide receiver because they ended up with Kadarius Toney. Uh, but yep. there's just so many different ways the Cowboys could have played this, and we talked about it in a previous pod where you created this fun mock draft where the Cowboys traded back multiple times and I just felt like in the moment first of all I knew that Micah Parsons was coming you just felt the pick coming but uh, in an alternate universe you could feel the storm clouds of course but I was like maybe they could trade back again and 
target a Trevin Merrig or something, you know, finally get a franchise safety in here or, or do something like that. But I, I guess I felt in the moment that maybe they felt like they just could not let they felt suffocated by Parsons. They just couldn't let that player go. They love linebackers. <laughs> you know, they love drafting linebackers yep. in the first round. But I guess it sounds like he was their guy all along. So I guess uh, a, yep. a second trade back was not on the table. It, there, there was no way that they were going to do that. And if we're talking about the trades that needed to be made, obviously the Chicago Bears gave up a future first round pick to move up with the Giants at number 10. Uh, the Giants, I'm uh, sorry, number 11, the Giants only moved because Smith was off the table for them. Uh, so clearly you would imagine that the Bears offer of uh, the picks that the Giants got, the first round pick and the later picks in, in this year's draft would have been available to the Cowboys and they could have moved back from 10 to number 20 and then made their selection from that point. So clearly that was an alternative for them uh, if they were truly shopping, but they weren't going to move that far back and risk losing Parsons. Now the question is whether that's smart or not. I, I have not disguised my feelings towards linebackers at all. I, I am team linebackers don't matter. I don't believe that you should draft them early. I don't believe you should uh, invest that kind of capital in them in free agency. It's just a position that's far too dependent on everybody else being good for that guy to do his job. Uh, so therefore, you should get linebackers later on in the draft, and you can clearly find talented linebackers uh, later on day two, on day three, just like the Cowboys did with Rebel Cooks. If the Cowboys did not take Michael Parsons, if they had done the wise thing, and drafted Rashawn Slater, even after the trade back at number 12, they would have solved their offensive line issue for right now, which would have been giving them a plus left guard to sandwich between uh, Teron Smith and Tyler Biotis. Uh, then they could have moved Slater on to left tackle whenever Teron Smith retires. Uh, they could have easily have solved that issue and then circle back around and gotten any of these linebackers later on in the draft. But they decided that Michael Parsons, with all of his uber athleticism, and don't get me wrong, I'm not shading Michael Parsons as a prospect. I think that he is a wonderful prospect. He does have a few holes in his game, but so do everybody. So so does everybody else. Um, my issues with him are I don't think he recognizes plays well, and I think he has issues where he's not going to be the best in coverage. And for me, in the modern-day era of the NFL, the only thing that matters from any defender that's not on your defensive line is how well they can cover. Every single linebacker has to be great in coverage. Every single secondary player has to be great in coverage because all that matters right now is the run game. I don't care how great a linebacker blitzes because that's such a small portion of what he does. It's just kind of a cherry on top instead of being – what the Cowboys are looking at this as, as they've literally called him the best pass rushing prospect in the draft. And you're going to play him at middle linebacker. Right. Somebody help me understand how that makes sense. He's, not he's on the still edge. at the end of the day, a middle linebacker. Right. He's at the end of the day, a middle linebacker. The Cowboys have revealed Dan Quinn had his press conference after the draft. They revealed they're going to be in the 30 front and base defense, but you're not playing Michael Parsons. When you go to nickel above a guy like Randy Gregory, he's not going to be substituting for that. So you're still talking about blitzing a guy as opposed to putting him in a position where pass rush is his thing. And for me, that's just a, a wrong way that any team should address a linebacker position, especially my team that I'm so heavily invested in. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. He does bring great talent to the situation, and hopefully they will be able to utilize the things that he does well and minimize whatever he doesn't do well until that part of his game comes around. I would just prefer they had gone a different direction with their first-round pick than what they did. But now that he's on the team, I'm going to cheer my lungs out for him <laughs> and hope that he – makes me look like a total and complete idiot. Of course. Well, well as you tweeted, the team's just obsessed with linebackers than it is what it is. They couldn't pass on comparisons. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yep. So one thing, I, <laughs> one thing I had to get your take on, 
is the fact that the Cowboys end up with 11 draft picks in a year when the talent pool was kind of difficult to gauge properly, right? I mean, at least in comparison to years past. Hard to gauge this thing. And Stephen Jones kind of fed us in in these pressers after these post-draft pressers about how he liked having the ability to draft five players in the top 100. So when we get to day two and the Raiders... John Gruden, you sneaky, sneaky man. Oh, man, did you screw the Cowboys mm. over going up mm. one pick? ahead? It felt like the round one all over again If in the alternate universe where they were going to select Patrick Sertan, but I guess that wasn't ever going to happen anyway. But it did feel like in real time in round two, man, the Raiders hopping over the Cowboys via trade to get married. It was like, oh, God, is that that was pain, right? That yep. was painful. That hurt. And I'm like, oh, no, you can't do it to the Cowboys again. What is going to happen to my guys? Marcus Mosier, KD Drummond, all you guys. <laughs> I was worried about you. Uh, but I guess that wasn't in play either. They Maybe they would have taken Trevon Merrig at that spot at 44, but they weren't going to trade up for him. It, that's what it sounded, it sounded like. Stephen Jones was happier having five players in the top 100 than four. And I guess I don't yep. understand that that piece of it. I mean, it was hard to gauge yeah. this class, right? Yeah, it was hard to gauge this class. Uh, it, was a, it was so different. It's just weird. Guys opting out, guys not playing a lot of football. No combine, like it's just a weird year. And why are you so comfortable with five players in the top 100? Why would that be the reason you don't want to move up? That was a head scratcher for me. The way that played out, and we heard from if you were on the NFL Network broadcast, you saw Mike Mayock, uh, former NFL Network guy, jump on with the team, and he was like, "Yeah, we had to jump the Cowboys in order to get Morik." Okay, well, that was honest. Thank you very much for that <laughs> knife in the back. I, I really, I really needed that on my Sunday afternoon. Ouch. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, the same way that everybody assumed that the Cowboys were going to take Sertan and Denver stole him from them. And by the way, Denver, horrible draft. Idiots. They passed on Justin Fields to take a cornerback, and they actually admitted that out loud. We loved Justin Fields as a quarterback prospect, but we really liked the quarterback more. You're a complete idiot if you like a quarterback to be a franchise guy. You take a cornerback instead. Well, they have okay, Drew Locke. How much better maybe. you had that? You oh, yeah, exactly. They better figure out a way to trade for Aaron Rodgers. That's what they need to do. <laughs> They're working on it. <laughs> but everybody assumed that Sertan was stolen from the Cowboys, and everybody assumed that Moore was stolen from the Cowboys in the second round. But was he? Because when you look at the way that the Cowboys have operated in the past, they have no inclination to take a safety anywhere near that high in the draft. Uh, you know, in the post-draft press conference, Stephen Jones, again, made a joke out of it. And he, he, he laughed when he said, yeah, I guess we just didn't end up taking a safety again. Ha, 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 ha. That was pouring salt on the wound of Cowboys fans nationwide, globally, whatever the case may be. And it brought me to this realization, not even a realization, just a, a recurrence of a thought. During the early 2000s, fans were basically saying to themselves, I can't wait for Stephen Jones to take over for Jerry Jones to right this ship. And then he actually took over in most of the day-to-day operations, and fans gave him credit for the times during the draft when, you know, Will McClay was doing his thing in 2013, 2014, so on and so forth, all the way up to 2016, and people, people were like, yeah, it's really great to see Stephen Jones taking over from Jerry Jones. We're not making the bad free agency decisions that we used to make and so on and so forth. But lo and behold, we're now basically seven or eight years into the Stephen Jones regime and nothing has changed. And people are just as frustrated with this team. So not only are Cowboys who have waited, basically, it's now been 25 plus years since they've won a championship that waited a decade plus for Jerry Jones to no longer be in control. Now we're faced with the idea that this guy, Stephen Jones, who is a cheap on free agency and B thinks that the whims of the fans that are the paying public are just irrelevant 
and worthy of being joked about when you're spitting in their face of what they would like to see be done with the team, this guy is going to be in charge for the next 20 or 30 years. So it's really, really hard right now after yes. this draft yep. in, in, in lieu of two straight years of missing the playoffs with supposedly a very good roster for Cowboys fans to be excited about anything they did. And then with all of those five picks that you talk about, they ended up taking guys that most people perceived as being around hot. Now, was that reason because the coaching staff saw these guys in person? Or was it, you know, again, this pandemic, it has everybody screwed up. Nobody had the same board. Things were just crazy all over the place. But when you look at the way that the draft was graded based on a compilation of big boards, the Athletic did a big thing about 70 combined big boards. People looked at 18 different uh, professionals that graded the mocks. The Cowboys were in the bottom five of getting value for the amount of draft capital they had. And as far as just individual grades for their draft, they were 27th in grades, 28th in value based on the picks they had entering the draft. And that is just unconscionable for a team to be that far off the mark. I don't care how many different people had different boards and the teams don't talk to the media this year and all of those kinds of things. Yes, I understand those caveats, but the Cowboys should never come away from a draft with this little reverence for what they did. It's just, it's not up to the standard that they've set for themselves. Not so true. The draft capital was insane. And uh, there was one, there's this one piece of the late third round. Uh, I'm watching the draft on my little app. I mean, I, I'm just going to fully admit, I, I'm not as informed as all you guys, Katie. So I need my little app to tell me what the grade is on each pick. Now I know if it was a good pick or a bad one. So late third round, the Cowboys select Nashawn uh, Wright. And my app t- tells me that they get a D plus for that pick. I'm like, oh boy, that's not good. And then the next two picks are also corners. Elijah Molden to the Titans and Ifatu Melanfadu to the Lions. And they both get an A- on my uh, my app. But I'm like, oh boy, KD's not going to like this one either, is he? Because clearly Ooh. they missed on a couple of good corners that went right after uh, Nashawn Wright. And it's like, what are we, what are we, what are we doing here? Yeah, the, the thing that killed it more so than Molden was Melifonbu. Because Melifonbu is the big, long corner that Dan Quinn obviously prefers. You know, so if that's what you were looking for, you could have easily taken the Syracuse kid and gotten that guy to be your six foot two corner that seems to have all of the physical attributes that you're looking for with a much better resume than what Wright does. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are a handful of people that thought that Wright was an excellent pick, that he was worthy of being in the third round or fourth round. That was not the consensus. But teams shouldn't worry about consensus. I think we all need to take a step back and remember that. If a team believes that this guy is going to be a future star, then he's worth taking at that point. But – The question is, if the rest of the league or the majority of the league didn't feel that way, was this guy so good that you had to take him there as opposed to maybe you could have gotten him in the fourth round with one of those, the multiple of picks, multitude of picks that you had in the fourth or the fifth round? Could you have gotten him there? Because most services had this guy rated as a sixth or seventh rounder. Mm. And to take him at number 99 with all of those guys left on the board, it just, it just smelled bad. But that's mostly because in this year's draft, most of us on the outside, I, I don't study film. I don't break down film. I'm not looking to see a guy's, you know, quick and close speed or his hips. I read people that do those things. Um, so I have a certain amount of people that I trust when it comes to their draft evaluations, and I incorporate that into whether I think a guy is a good or a bad fit. I basically understand what the team needs, and then I look at their evaluations, and I make my decisions off of them. 
The fact was nobody had studied this kid. So, you know, all of the people that I trust were all just like, I don't even know what to say because I've never even watched his tape because most of the services were saying this was a seventh round guy. and I just never got around to him. Yeah. But even after the fact, they studied this tape and people were still like, I see some traits that made him work better than a sixth or seventh round pick. But I'd have gotten him maybe late fourth, maybe in the fifth. Nobody was, except for maybe one guy, would say this was a guy they had to get in the top 100. And I think that's the biggest issue of them all, is whether or not you took a necessary risk to get a guy. Like, you really have to think that Nashawn Wright is going to be a longtime starter, future pro bowler, to take him this far ahead of where he was projected. Because if you missed out on him in the fourth round, you kind of say, oh, well, we, we kind of like the guy, but he got taken by somebody else. So be it. This guy has to be a Pro Bowl-level player for you to take him where you did compared to where most people thought he was going to end up going. You have to be able to balance your draft that way. There were some picks that we didn't hate, right, KD? There were some picks in this draft where we could feel good about. There was one pick in particular that kind of justified the Micah Parsons selection even. And let's get into that coming up next. All right, there's a there's one player in the fourth round, KD, supposed to be one of the best coverage linebackers in this entire class. He slips to the fourth round. Jabril Cox out of LSU. So now you got Parsons and you got Cox, so you've got your linebackers of the future. You know the Cowboys are gonna make sure they've got their linebacker room, you know, figured out. Yep. They do they yep. do love that position. Seems like this is a player everyone loves, but he also dropped to the fourth round for some reason, right? So what what do you know about this kid? It seems like he does maybe freelance a little bit, not super great against the run, but he can cover. That, that's what I'm seeing. He can definitely cover guys, and that's, that's a positive. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right, and that is the biggest takeaway. Um, a lot of teams, you know, I have a, a good friend that's in the draft business, uh, Vos Lombardi, who says, we have to remember that there's a lot of teams out here who don't know what the hell they're doing when it comes to the draft. <laughs> I mean, they're professionals. They have the jobs, they have the right to do it, but just like any other profession, there are a lot of people in every possession, in every profession that don't know what they're doing. And there are a lot of NFL teams that aren't good at drafting. It's just the case. Um, I wrote, basically, I don't think the Cowboys are as great at drafting as they think they are. They're not as great at drafting as they have to be for a team that refuses to sign any external free agents. They have to knock the draft out of the park pretty much every year, at least two two out of every three years in order to uh, sustain that success of not bringing out on outside guys to solve your holes. The Cowboys aren't that. But when it came to the evaluation of Cox, I, I think other teams just missed. I think people really got keyed in on, you know, the teams that needed linebackers got them early. The, the Washington franchise got their guy uh, in Jamin Davis. Um, somebody else took uh, JOK, the, the linebacker out of Notre Dame. He went to Cleveland. Um, so teams that really desperately needed that, and including the Cowboys, got that. The Cowboys double-dipped. And honestly, Cox being available in the fourth round is the biggest testament to my linebackers don't matter theory. you got a guy sure. who should be a plus defender, a plus coverage guy, that if you walked away from this draft with him being your only linebacker, you're still saying we greatly improved the linebacker position for our team moving forward. Uh, Jalen Smith is a guy that you could cut. Leighton Van Der Esch wasn't going to get the fifth-year option no matter what. Uh, so they weren't lying in the pre-draft press conference that whether or not, uh, or in the post-draft, post-round one press conference that whether or not they had drafted Parsons won't have an effect on whether or not they extended the fifth-year offer to Leighton Vanderesh because there was no way they were going to give Leighton Vanderesh a fifth-year option. He's just too injured and it's guaranteed $9 million. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that they won't try to re-sign him, 
but they weren't going to guarantee him $9 million for next year. So that was out the window. But Cox could have easily have slid into that rotation. They could have taken somebody else with a number 12 pick, another high-impact guy like Rashawn Slater, solved their left guard issue, cemented their offensive line moving forward, still helped the linebacker room, and then with one of the other 10 picks or one of the other nine picks that they had, could have taken a second linebacker somewhere else to add to the equation. They could have gone back-to-back linebackers in the fourth round. There were a couple, um, the name slipped in my mind of the other guy that I had targeted, uh, but there were, there were a couple guys in the linebacker class that they could have taken and, and also uh, came away feeling really good. Now, that guy doesn't compare to Parsons. Again, I'm not dumping on Parsons. He should be a tremendous pick. But for the value that an off-ball linebacker gives you, it just doesn't seem like it should have been the priority. And that case was made with being able to get Cox a great – really what Parsons doesn't do well is coverage, and that's what Cox does great. I'm not saying that Cox is going to be a better player than Parsons, but to me right now on day on day five, whatever day this is, day seven, <laughs> removed from the draft, he is a better value based on what the Cowboys are looking for and what the NFL is looking for. I, I think if Cox and Parsons are your linebackers going forward, they're going to line up next to each other. I mean, they complement one another, right? So that's something that it makes yes. me feel, it makes you feel a little bit better about that first round selection if you didn't love it. They're definitely complimentary. Right, yeah, the, the, the Tampa linebacker core that just won the Super Bowl, I think that's everybody's hope. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yep. De- Devin White and um, and what's, what's the other kid's name from, from Tampa? Uh, man, it's slipping my mind. Uh-huh. But, yeah, they have a tremendous linebacker duo. Uh, Seattle has always had Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. So, yeah, the, the dynamic duo and linebacker, you hope that they can do it. They, they hope to have it in Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. And the last thing I'll say on this, the team that decided that drafting Jalen Smith with no knee and drafting neck injury Leighton Vander Esch and then signing no-knee Jalen Smith with all of his issues to a long-term contract is a team that thought drafting Michael Parsons at number 12 was a good idea. Their track record isn't great. Levante David. There you go. Thank you. Our brains are going 100 miles a minute since this freaking draft. This felt like a month. Yes. The draft felt, feels like yes. a month ago, if you ask me. <laughs> um, another player I, I liked, KD, was the wide receiver. Uh, Simi Fehoko out of Stanford. Yep. Picked 179. He's kind of a specimen, right? 6'4", 220 pounds. And a, another pick that people yep. seem to applaud. You seem to like this player. You know, I think the Cowboys offense is going to be fun no matter what. But yeah, I, this, yep. this kid kind of seemed like he was a good get late in the draft. Yeah, and the thing that I like most about him is his speed for his size. There used to be, uh, back when analytics was first breaking out as being a, such a big thing, there used to be something called speed score. And it's kind of disappeared from the lexicon uh, that people used to evaluate prospects. And it was more so a running back thing than anything. But it basically said, how fast are you for your size? So, yeah, everybody can run a 4-4, 4-3-5, whatever the case may be. But if you've got a guy like Derek Henry who's running the 4-3-9 and he weighs 278 pounds, I'm, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but if he's somebody as big as Derek Henry running that fast, that's much more of a positive for you than if you're 150 pounds running the same 4-3-9. So speed relative to how big you are and how hard you are to tackle and how impactful you'll be when you're in a one-on-one confrontation is important. I don't think Fajoko runs the 4-3-7 that he was timed at Stanford because pro day numbers should always be taken with a grain of salt. There was no combine this year, so we don't have everybody on the same platform. But he's really, really fast to be that big. And to me, that brings the hope of everything that he can be in the future. Will he make a big impact this year? Probably not. The Cowboys are loaded at wide receiver. They don't need him to make a big impact. Can he challenge Cedric Wilson for a couple touches? Definitely. Can he challenge Noah Brown? Definitely. But next year, when he has a year under his belt, and most likely Michael Gallup has gone in free agency because he's going, he's definitely outplayed his contract and he will demand, not even command, demand 
a big salary on the open market once he hits that next year. I think that you could see him being the third guy, the third wheel to Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, and the Cowboys now having a big red zone threat that also has a speed element, which is something that they're lacking right now. So I don't think he's blazing 4-3-7, but I think he's a good 4-4-1, 4-4-5. And for being 6-4-2-20, that's plenty of great speed that defenses are going to have to account for if he turns into a solid route runner with good hands and all the other elements that you need in order to be a quality NFL receiver. Yeah, I, I like him. And, and I want to leave it here. Uh, you had an interesting tweet about Mike McCarthy coming off one of his pressers where you just kind of ask the question, simple question, is he just going through the motions? You know, Mike McCarthy, and I, and I yeah. made sure I wrote that down. You know, he couldn't be at Dak's presser. He didn't talk to Micah Parsons, which I kind of found, had, you know, you, didn't, you, you never even interviewed Micah Parsons before the draft, but he's your guy. And, you know, he's talking about the pick. I, I noticed he's talking about the pick after the, you know, the first day of the draft, and, you know, he just kind of gave you coach speak about the player. He didn't really, uh, he didn't seem too excited about it. I'm hearing reports that Dan Quinn's kind of the Cowboys head coach in waiting, that McCarthy's on the hot seat. So I definitely wanted to get your take on McCarthy. He's a guy that we've we've hit on at various points on the pod, but it, it does seem like he's got, if anyone has some pressure on this, on the Cowboys, it's it's McCarthy. He's got a lot of pressure on him this year. Yeah, and, and I think that's very important. Um, I'll, I'll make two points on that. Yes, I agree, or I, I, I said it. I'm worried about whether or not Mike McCarthy is fully engaged in this process. Um, I don't know how much he was um, neutered, I guess would be a, a good way to say it. After, after what happened last year, I don't know how much of that, um, you know, the latitude that he had going in as a first-year coach was taken away based on what happened. We know that they made him fire Mike, Mike Nolan, his defensive coordinator of choice, and they brought on Dan Quinn. We believe that he had a big insight into whether or not Dan Quinn was going to be the hire, but you just don't know. Um, but yeah, when he has press conferences, he does not seem really engaged. And that might just be his personality. I didn't follow him in, in Green Bay uh, to know how his press conferences went there. He supposedly, when he first got here, had gotten a bunch of power when it came to player personnel decisions. I don't know if that's the case anymore. This definitely seemed like a Dan Quinn draft. I don't know if it was a it Mike did. McCarthy draft it or did. not, but it definitely felt like Dan Quinn. A lot of defensive players. Um, so we just... <laughs> Yeah, we and so, so and I don't mind that. I, I you know that that definitely should have been the way that they had to go. I don't think they had to go defense in the first round. Clearly, I've stated that on multiple occasions. Um, but I don't mind it being a full defensive draft because they need defensive talent. That when you look at the way that they pay people, it's heavily skewed towards the offense. The Dow, Dallas Cowboys don't have a lot of defensive talent. Dan clearly said we have Demarcus Lawrence, we have Trevon Diggs, and I don't care who else is on this roster. Find me a guy. So that's what the scouting department did. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting on whether or not uh, Mike McCarthy is really fully engaged. I don't know if Dan Quinn is a coach in waiting. I think that's kind of more Kellen Moore. But yep, yep. if it's Kellen Moore, they definitely want to have somebody on the staff that has head coaching experience to be able to assist him in that way. Kellen Moore seems like an offensive guru genius. I worry about whether or not he can stand in front of a locker room and command the presence, you know, be the tough guy that a coach often has to be. I'm picturing Jason um, Garrett in my head right now <laughs> as you say this. Right, right. Offensive genius, but doesn't have the cachet to command a room. And yeah. therefore, as years go on, that kind of power erodes itself as he occasionally gets challenged because coaches and coaches are challenged by players all the time. And the tough guy act or the tough guy nature of it has to be there to push them backwards because these are alphas. It is a, a professional football team is 63 alpha males 
all at the same time. You might have one or two guys that don't really fit the alpha male role, but for the most part, you have a collection of guys who have been the man at every point in their career until they get to the NFL locker room. So there are going to be people that test you, and I'm not sure if Kellen Moore is quite that guy based on the interviews that I've seen. It might be a completely different thing behind the scenes in the locker room, and he might have you know that kind of respect beyond just knowing what the hell he's doing when it comes to a playbook. Um, but Dan Quinn is certainly that guy. So, yeah, it's – it's just a very interesting situation. I just I don't know how long this coaching staff stays intact if things don't go well. I, I, they're going to make it through the year, but if the Cowboys miss a playoff for the third year in a row, how does Mike McCarthy come back? He doesn't. They paid way too much money for him to, to, to do this, and Jerry Jones is getting too old uh, for, for them to miss a playoff three years in a row and keep the, coach, keep the coach again. I don't care what happens with injuries this year. Jerry is getting old, man. He kind of rambles on now in these, in these posts pressers oh my gosh yeah, he, he goes on for like yeah. 20 minutes yeah and jerry forgets that he's already yep. said that thing uh no this is, <laughs> this is just one of the this is one of the more fascinating draft classes that you know i can i can remember leave it to the cowboys man they keep it interesting for us so yep. i think you know we'll we'll keep digging into this thing I, we didn't get to every pick we didn't there's plenty more thoughts on this that we could tackle next week maybe we could start thinking about where some of these guys plug in some of the position battles we're going to see later this summer. I yes. mean, we can start yep. digging into that next week. Does that sound good to you? That'll work for me, man. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us. We'll get into all that next week. Talk to you then. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle Podcast inside the weekly line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.